0: Good evening, everyone. I got to tell you, weather, weather apps are great, aren't they? I've got this one that says that uh, the rain is going to start at 7.42 tonight. So in uh, 12 minutes, it's going to start raining. Isn't that amazing? Just amazing. I just love it when it says that it's going to be a clear day, and then all of a sudden, all it does is... Blow and where's the app then? You know, and does all that really help? All right. Let's turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty-three. Now, it's been a while since we've been in Ezekiel. Actually, we started uh, chapter thirty-three at the beginning of the month. We're at the end of the month now and uh, actually we're picking back up where we left off mainly because uh, of the Israel trip and then uh, and so uh, I wanted to share that message last week on Israel so here we are. Uh, We had already looked at the first 16 verses and uh, I'm going to read from the very beginning Uh, just to get back into the context and into the uh, understanding of where we are, and where we've been, and where we're going. So, let's begin by looking at verse 1 of chapter 33. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, when I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts or borders and set him for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee, a watchman, unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Father, we ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit this evening. We pray that you will lead us and guide us through your word. Lord, that you would stir our hearts to know that this, Lord, is not just another message or another study. But in fact, it is your word and we need to heed it and we need to hear it and we need to understand it and then we need to apply it to our lives as we look at these last days and realize how soon the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is and so Father tonight we take this opportunity Lord to look to you to give us your wisdom and grace to give us full understanding Lord of your word tonight in Jesus name Amen as I mentioned last time which was a while ago not last time last week but last time beginning of the month uh we're entering into the last major division of this prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. The first 24 chapters dealt with a reason for God's judgments on Israel and on Judah. It was his disobedience, their rebellion against God, their desire to do their own thing. Whether it be in the worship of idols, which was pretty rampant, especially even in Jerusalem as we saw in the earlier chapters when the Lord takes Ezekiel out of Babylon in, in a vision to the very heart of the temple, and breaks a wall or at least takes him into a broken wall into a room where all of these idols were being worshipped. To just complete disobedience unto the Lord, breaking of every law and commandment. So the Lord, through the prophets, had warned them and warned them and warned them time and time again, and yet they get they got further and further away from the Lord. So the first twenty-four chapters deal with those particular reasons for God's judgments. Chapters twenty-five through thirty-two dealt with the Lord's judgment on the Gentile nations. And it wasn't just what was at that time, the judgments that were coming on certain nations, but what is to come, because once again, this prophecy is something that points not only to a very near fulfillment in the time of Ezekiel, but a fulfillment much later on. And uh, we're going to be getting closer, we're getting closer now, but we're going to be in uh, some very important chapters that are, that are right now things are falling into place for these particular chapters to be fulfilled that is chapters 38 and 39 but nonetheless God has judgments for the, the Gentile nations that have also come against him and this last section chapters 33 through 48 <laughs> excuse me will deal with God's restoration of blessings on Israel once again. So this chapter begins then with the recommissioning of Ezekiel as a, as a watchman. And all of this, of course, we covered back in our last uh, uh, study back at the beginning of the month. Uh, the passage here is very reminiscent of what was given to Ezekiel in chapter 3. If, if the people heed the warning of the watchman as it pertains to their sin and they turn away, or they turn from their wicked ways, and they get right with God, they're going to live. They shall live, it says. But if not, they shall die in their sins. They won't be able to blame anyone for what has come upon their lives. All the while, there is the watchman's responsibility to warn. So the judgment, or or at least the warnings of judgment, is not just for the people, but for the watchman as well. If he does not warn then he must face the consequence of his disobedience. But well, one thing we know about Ezekiel is that he did warn the people but the false prophets did not. False prophets will never warn the people rightly. That's why they call false prophets. They're not true prophets of God. And I think that even in our modern times, sometimes we get kind of duped by people into and, and thinking, you know, that, you know, this this prophet or that prophet or this pastor or this preacher or this evangelist is telling us, you know, that we ought to be looking for, you know, just uh, pots of gold at the end of the rainbow, as it were. Then we realize the reality of what life is is like when we really trust the Lord. When we really consider the fact that three that one third of the scriptures is is prophetic and prophetic about the times in which we're living and in the in the times that are about to come and how we need to get ready for that and that the disciples two thousand years ago after the resurrection of jesus christ and the ascension of christ back into the into heaven to be at the right hand of his father until the time that he was is to come is also the the very same kind of of prophetic warning of saying, we need to get right with the Lord because he could come at any moment. The Apostle Paul thought he could come at any moment. All the apostles believed that Jesus could come at any moment. So we've been living in 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 a tremendous age of grace. But the word of God remains true. And you can't you can't throw out one third of the of the, the scriptures. I actually believe it's more than one third that you know, the prophetic, the, at least the the, uh, the the basic foundational prophetic teaching. About one third of the scriptures, you, you throw one third of the, of the scriptures out. What do you have? So it's important to keep in mind that the people uh, themselves, and this is the this is the condition of the hearts of the people at the time of Ezekiel, and certainly of the other prophets. But it's important to keep in mind that the people were mocking and they were ignoring the word of God as spoken by the prophets of God. Not to mention that they were insulting God's prophets as well. That was not a good thing to do. (laughs) Certainly not a smart thing. But now they were seeing everything. They were beginning to see. I mean, here they are. Now remember, in the time of Ezekiel, uh, there's already been some uh, uh, captivity taking place. Uh, people, t- you know, because the the Babylonians came and and took uh, two groups of people already to uh, to Babylon, and and when now we're at the very point where d- uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed, and more people are coming into Babylon. So here's the thing: they they're seeing everything that the prophets prophesied coming to pass right before their very eyes. And what could they see now? All they could see was hopelessness. But here's the thing: they saw hopelessness. But the the attitude of their hearts hadn't changed, as you'll see a little bit later in this chapter. For many of them, they were ready to give up and face the music. Still, there were those that that had been listening to the false prophets in Jerusalem, and then Jerusalem is destroyed. Many of them died. And they're saying, why didn't we listen to the prophets? So they were ready to give up and face the music. But I want you to consider, let's, let's read on in verse 10. It says, therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus you speak, saying, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us and we pine away in them, which means that we dissolve or vanish away in, in our transgressions, how should we then live? What a tremendous question that is if if our transgressions are on us and we're going to be destroyed we're going to be dissolved and vanished away in them then how should we live now see that is really the question that everyone should be asking today how should we then live as we await the return of our lord jesus christ how should we then be living So the prophet is told by God in verse 11, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Well, he's answering the question. How shall we live? Well, turn from your wicked ways. Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. An interesting combination of words here, especially in the, in the Hebrew. The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. We'll get, we'll get a little bit more clearer picture of that as we, as we go on in, in, in the rest of this chapter. But then he talks about the wickedness of the wicked. He shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. So there's a righteousness that people are depending upon in their own lives that's not going to save them if they fall into sin. But those that are in wickedness, when they turn to the Lord and repent, what's going to happen? They're going to live. So he's making a distinction here between man's righteousness and the repentance that God wants to hear from the hearts of men when we turn to the Lord. So that's kind of the understanding here. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous that he uh, he shall surely live. If he trusts to his own righteousness. And here's the point. If he trusts to his own righteousness. And commit iniquity. All his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. Remember what it says in, in the book of Isaiah about the righteousness of man. Are his filthy rags unto the Lord. But, if, but, but for his iniquity that he has committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if he turn from his sin, and do that which is lawful and right. And that, and that in essence, is really pertaining to obedience to the law. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he, uh, he had robbed. In other words, if you go and, and bring, you know, just return what you stole, simply is what it's saying, Walk in the statutes of life, without committing iniquity, he shall surely live; he shall not die. None of his sins that he has committed shall be mentioned unto him. He has done that which is lawful and right; he shall surely live. Again, we, we I just refer you back to the the study we did a few weeks ago. But what is verse eleven telling us? Let's go back to verse 11 because isn't it telling us if you look at verse 11 very carefully where it says, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God. So God's speaking and he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So isn't he telling us that the Lord does not want to judge? He's telling us he doesn't want to judge. Not what he wants to do. Doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then he pleads, turn ye, turn ye. From your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die, house of Israel, if you know that I came to you first and I brought to you the very law, the very responsibility of the law, and, and the very fact that you'll keep it if you come and trust in me. You can't keep it on your own. You have to come and trust in me. He wants to save them, in other words. He wants to save them, and so he urges them strongly, beseeches them, begs them to turn to him and to accept life. Now, the simple lessons in these verses are that the Lord doesn't want wicked people to die. He isn't the one that sends anyone to hell. We talked about this before. He's not the one that sends people to hell. We hear that a lot. Oh, God's going to send you to hell. And this is no, 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 no. You, you don't know the word of God. The word God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose. People choose to disobey. People choose, then, to take the consequences. They choose to go there. God doesn't send them there. He does everything to keep people from going there, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and a person can change things by turning around the problem is that there's not much time left to turn around i'm talking about now (laughs) it's not much time but this one truth needs to be remembered remember this about the heart of the lord he says he takes no pleasure in the wicked but then he also says it says to us in second peter chapter three and i want to begin at verse eight where it says but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is as Uh, is with the lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day and we know that there's some prophetic talk before and after all of this but look at verse 9 it says the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us we're not willing that any should perish that's the heart of god that none should perish but that all should come to repentance there is that word repentance But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which means he could come as a thief in the knife tonight, uh, of the night tonight. He could come tomorrow. If he comes tonight, where will we be tomorrow? That's the question. If Jesus comes tonight, where will we be tomorrow? I, I remember we used to ask people, "Well, if you die, if you die tonight, where will you be?" You know. Now the question is if Jesus comes tonight where will you be tomorrow? Because he's coming. He said I'm coming. Get ready. So the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. and The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So it's Costly if we don't listen to the word of the Lord today. The lessons of uh, chapter 33, verses 12 through 16 here can be summed up this way. I'm, I've kind of, kind of summed it up already, but let me, let me go through it again. But the righteousness of good works. The righteousness of good works will not save people if they continue in sin. The righteousness of good works. Listen carefully. But the wicked will live if they repent. Repent. True believers do not go about breaking God's laws deliberately. I mean, we don't wake up, I've often said, you know, we don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, today I just want to go out and sin a lot. You know, I want to go out and hurt people. I want to go lie, steal. I just just feel good about it. I'm just going to do it, right? We don't think that way. As believers, man, we get up, we want to please please God. Lord, you know, the first thing I, I usually thank the Lord for is that his mercies are new every morning. Because that's what it tells us in the Book of Lamentations, chapter three, that God's mercies are new every morning. That His compassions never fail, and great is His faithfulness. Well, that is the way I can. I, I just love to start the day because that I just it just reminds me that uh, whatever you know I ended up by the end of the day, you know, the previous night, you know, like oh, you know, we're you know, bearing the weight of the world or whatever because of you know whatever I've done i know one thing if my eyes open my heart's beating and i'm breathing his mercies are new every morning then i want to serve him with all my heart so we don't go about uh wanting to break god's laws deliberately but when they but when we see it, i mean then we immediately see god's forgiveness and repent of our sins right We think about, uh, you know, First John 1, 9, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. Trusting in good works of righteousness to save. And this is the point here. Trusting in good works of righteousness to save, but turning away to live in sin only brings death. And that's the point of the passage in Ezekiel, both here in 33 and what we had studied earlier, back in chapter 3, chapter 18, and so on. The wicked who repent will be saved because they trust God enough to repent and do what is right. And there's the pattern then of salvation begins with what? Well, we certainly know that we don't save ourselves, but we are called upon to recognize our sin and to call upon the Lord in repentance, to turn away from it and to go in a, in a completely opposite direction. So, again, I want to refer you to the previous study of chapter 33 for the details of these, for other details of this of these 16 verses. But with these things in mind, let's, let's move on now into the next portion of the chapter, which is what we want to do in completing this chapter tonight. So let's, let's go on to verse 17. <laughs> and it says here, Yet the children of thy people say, the, the way of the Lord is not equal. I guess the best way to put that is, God's not fair. Right? God's not fair. The way of the Lord is not equal, but as for them, their way <laughs> is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and commiteth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. What's not fair about that is kind of what the Lord is saying. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. What's not fair about that? Yet you say the way of the Lord is not equal. O oh, you house of Israel, I will judge you every one after his ways. So the children of Israel complained that the Lord was not fair in his judgment, much like it is today. People are always criticizing the Lord by asking questions like, well, you know, all right, so what about the pygmies in Africa? You ever heard that one? I mean, I remember that 40 years ago. (laughs) What about the pygmies in Africa? Or the aboriginal tribes in Australia? What about them, dude? You know? How can God judge them if they've never heard of Jesus? Well, there's really only one thing that we need to know. The Lord God is absolutely fair because the Lord God is absolutely righteous. The Lord God is absolutely just. The Lord God is absolutely perfect in all of his ways. Let's start with that first. All we need to know about God's fairness, I believe, is found in Psalm 96, verses 10 through 13. Let's turn there for just a moment. And then Psalm 98 as well. Psalm 96, verses 10 through 13. This is what we need to know about our God, who doesn't look at things like we look at things. Right? When we talk about fairness, he talks about a whole different other perspective. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. And now notice it says, he shall judge the people righteously. Why? Because God is a righteous God. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful, all that is therein. And then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Now, if he comes and judges the people with his truth, is he not going to judge righteously then? Because his word is truth. And in fact, it is the only truth. Now, as. Because we, we have to kind of combat this this idea that man has, that everybody has their own truth. That's in the philosophical understanding relativism. We, we all have to, you know, we can all have our own truth, and we can, you know, best best not, uh, you know, step on somebody else's toes. But uh, this, this philosophical idea doesn't... Uh, very well when we have a god that is absolute you know the world tries to change all of that the world tries to say well you know well you know god's not absolute look at all the changes that he makes and look at all the things that he does no the bible is very clear god is immutable which means he's unchanging the bible is very clear about the word of god the word of god never changes the bible is very clear about the messiah of israel who is yeshua jesus because it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then the scriptures build upon that and prove every point about God's unchanging uh, attitude, unchanging character, I should say, attribute. So he judges with righteousness and with truth. So in Psalm 98, verse 9, it's it's really the same passage in a sense, because it says all these things are going to happen. There's joy going to be coming, and... And the trees are going to rejoice before the Lord, verse 9, before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness, shall he judge the world and the people with equity. The people with equity. So the question really isn't, well, what about the pygmies or the aborigines wherever they live to try to deal with the issue that God is not really fair? The bigger issue is the one to be asked of God's critics. The one that needs to be, the the, the question that needs to be asked of them. What have you done? (laughs) What have you done with the truths of God that you have heard? What have you done with the truths of God that you have read, that you have seen with your eyes and heard with your ears? What have you done? Don't worry about the pygmies. God God will take care of them. Don't worry about the aborigines. God will take care of them. Our God is a big God. He knows. Not worry, you know, he's not worried about him. God will take care of them. No one's going to be in heaven there because, you know, um, by accident. <laughs> Conversely, nobody's going to be in hell by accident either. You know, you could be there because yeah, he chose to. Each and every one of us is accountable for what we know. What have we done with God's Son? What have we done with Yeshua? What have we done with Jesus? What have we done with what we know about Jesus Christ? Our response before the Lord won't be, listen, if we're, when we stand, whether we stand before the judgment seat of Christ or whether we stand before the great white-throat judgment of God as an unbeliever, or before the great white throne, or, or I should say before the, the judgment seat of Christ as a believer, no matter when we, where we are standing, we're not going to say, but but what about? That's not going to be a part of, you know, we, we're not going to say anything. We, we've said everything now. We've said everything in this life, right? We've asked all the questions about, you know, what we, what, what we are, what, where we are, where we're going, what we're doing. We won't ask that question, but but what about? (laughs) But what about the aborigines? It's not about them, it's about you. It's about you standing before God. About you standing before Christ. And so for many, the question will be, where will you spend eternity? That's the question. The Lord has truly been more than fair because he is wholly righteous, he is wholly just, he is wholly true, not to mention that he is Spelled a different way, holy, holy, holy. As we move on into the next section, verse 21, it says, and it came to pass, excuse me, in the 12th year of our captivity, in the 10th month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came unto me saying, The city is smitten. Now, again, you know, all of the, the time frames that Ezekiel writes out here points always points back to the previous time. So we're talking about a, about a year and a half period. <laughs> we'll see that in a moment. Uh, verse 22, Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening... For he that was escaped came and, and had opened my mouth until he came to me in the morning and my mouth was open and I was no more dumb. Now you'll understand this if you remember our study back in chapter 24. And we'll, get, we'll go back there in just a moment. But the news of God's judgment upon Jerusalem finally reached the exiles in Babylon. But this takes us all the way back to chapter, as I said, chapter 24. The Lord told Ezekiel that he was to speak to all the people all day long and then when evening came again this is back in chapter 24 when evening came his wife the one who was the desire of his life the one who the one who he loved dearly was was going to die and in her death Ezekiel was not to mourn over her as an example of what was to happen to Jerusalem can you imagine your wife dies and god says i want you i don't want you to mourn I don't want you to mourn. Again, it was it was as an example of what was to happen to Jerusalem, the place that the Jews loved dearly. They loved him. The Lord made made him a mute, unable to speak forth the words of God to them anymore. And then and that lasted, by the way, three years. He did speak the judgments to the Gentile nations but not to his people. We're referred to that person who escapes back in Ezekiel 24, verses 26 and 27, where it says that he that escapeth in that day shall come unto thee to cause thee to hear it with thine ears, and that day shall thy mouth be open to him which is escaped, and thou shalt speak, and be no more dumb, and thou shalt be a sign unto them, and they shall know that I am the Lord." And so, as I said, it took this messenger some 18 months to make it to Babylon from Jerusalem, about 700 miles. But when he finally arrives, the Lord opens the mouth of the prophet to once again speak forth God's truths to the Jewish people. And this is what we hear in verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes Of the land of Israel speaks, saying, Abraham was one and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land is given us for inheritance. Now, these verses, and down to verse 29 apparently referred to the few Jews who were left in the land of Israel after the fall of Jerusalem. And What they were arguing about was that if one man, Abraham, had inherited the land, how much more right did such a group as they have to it? But the Lord was not so much impressed and interested in quantity as he was in quality. By the the way, the phrase Abraham was only one is found in Isaiah's prophecy which speaks of restoring waste places. Now remember, the place where they were at and where they were uh, living in at the time after the destruction of Jerusalem was was a wasteland. But notice what it says in Isaiah 51. It says in verses 1 through 3, hearken to me. Notice, I want you to notice, you that follow after righteousness. Righteousness. You that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock wherein whence you are hewn and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you for I called him alone. Notice, Abraham alone. I called him. And blessed him. And increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving in the voice of Melody. Now the prophecy seems aimed at God's restoration of the waste places. And wouldn't that apply to the land after the Babylonian invasion? Well, yes it would to the land. But these people felt that since Abraham had a claim to the land and he was all by himself, shouldn't they have an even greater claim since they were more of them? But Isaiah's prophecy was for those who followed after righteousness. Now, if you read on, let's let's read on verses 25 and 26. Notice the problem here. It says, Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, You eat with the blood. Uh, this is a strong. This is a strong statement that says, "Hey, you're not paying any attention to the laws that I gave you about cleanliness and cleanse and, and, and clean and unclean, and the blood as well. Kosher law, in other words, what what we know today as kosher law. It says you eat with the blood, and lift up your eyes toward your idols. Now, remember this one other thing too is that." They're disregarding the, the the blood. They're disregarding the laws concerning cl- the, the clean and the unclean, the blood, and not to eat the blood because in the li- in the blood is the, is, is is life, as, as the scriptures tell us. But understand that when you when you begin to worship idols like the other nations around you, everything had to do with with blood. It had to do with death. It had to do with with using the blood in sacrifices in a totally different way than the way God had prescribed for them to bring blood, or, or at least to bring the sacrifices, God would take care of the issue with the blood. But in this particular case, they were, they were doing their own thing. You eat with the blood, you lift up your eyes towards your idols and shed blood, and shall you possess the land? There's the question Are you going to possess the land? You stand upon your sword. In other words, you rely and depend upon your sword. You work abomination. You do everything that is against my word. And you defile every one of his neighbor's wife. And shall you possess the land? (laughs) The Lord was reminding them that they were living contrary to the law. Living like the devil and then expecting God to bless them. I wonder how many people are doing that today living like the devil and then expecting God to bless them. It is true that the Lord causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust but he's not bound by that. He's not bound by that. How many times have you heard someone complain about some adversity that has come upon them and they can't understand why God is doing that to them? The sad thing is that they could care less about God. Not every one of them. But there are those few that are doing their own thing. But only when trouble comes, God gets blamed. And so in their minds, it was not their actions that brought this upon them. Abraham was only one. We're many. We should inherit more of the land yeah but you missed the point you're not following after righteousness and being led by me God says following after righteousness I think David put it best in the Psalms when he said my my heart follows hard after God My heart follows hard after God. Do you follow hard after God? What does it mean? The scriptures make it clear in, in every indication from the Old Testament to the New, from the Hebrew scriptures to the, to the New Testament. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart. Your soul, your mind, your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But it's that first part. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall serve the Lord your God. With everything that is within you. Say thou thus unto them, verse 27. Thus saith the Lord God. As I live, surely they that are in the wastes shall fall by the sword. And him that is in the open field will I give to the beasts to be devoured. And they they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease the mountains of israel shall be desolate that none shall pass through then shall they know then shall they know there's an interesting thought about that statement then shall they know that i am the lord what has he just said listen carefully again they shall fall by the sword They shall be devoured by beasts. They shall die of pestilence, disease. The land itself will be laid desolate. All the pomp of her strength is going to be over. Then shall they know. Folks, understand in life, And in death you shall know that he is the Lord. Isn't that a heavy thought? We only think sometimes of being alive about it. But don't forget, there's a life after this. There's a resurrection unto life. And a resurrection unto damnation. Then shall they know that I am the Lord when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which which they have committed. What the Lord was doing here was purging the land of the wickedness that permeated it. And he would then bring home a faithful remnant to start a new work in and through them. And by the way, let, let me just say that before 1948 in the modern era, before the, the birth of the, of the modern state of Israel, the land was, was desolate for thousands of years. And yet, the very prophecies that that spoke of uh, of, of a land that was revitalized, resurrected, as it were, full of, of, of fruit and flowers and, 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 and blooming again, is the Israel that we saw a few weeks ago. What an amazing thing. That God's word is so true in that, in that sense. So, there is the purging that, that brings cleansing. That brings a new start. And again, there would be a, another start. That people would be in their land again but but they had to they had to begin to depend upon the lord more and more than they ever had because it wasn't about the beauty that man could make it was about the beauty that god was going to lead them to beyond this life they needed to remain faithful but those in the land that that are being described here they just were not true spiritual descendants of abraham Remember this one statement that Paul makes. Not all Israel is Israel. Interesting, isn't it? Not all Israel is Israel. Their outward profession would not save them from judgment because God was not interested in mere words. He was interested in a living faith. God is always interested in a living faith. Think about what James says in James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 17, when he says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and what do you say unto them? Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. In other words, just say the words. Be, depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? <coughs> Even so, if it, had, if it has not works, is dead being alone. A dead faith. Not a living faith, a dead faith. The faith that we have as believers now, you know, we could go into this long <laughs> study of, of, of the words of James and the words of, of Paul, James 2, Paul, uh, uh, Romans chapter 4, and, and, and see the connection between faith without works is dead and yet Paul just describes the living faith that, that James is kind of alluding to. But here's the thing it is a living faith, because there can be a faith that is just a faith that is a mental ascent. As a matter of fact, James talks about it. He says, You believe in God, so do the, the demons, and they tremble. So consider the hearts of the people as we come now to the end of this chapter. I just look at the time. I want to get to want to get make sure we get to the end of this chapter. But consider the hearts of the people as we come to the to the end now. Because in verse 30 it says also thou son of man the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls, and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh from forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear my, thy words, but they will not do them. Underline that phrase. They will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them. Now, now, remember, God is speaking to Ezekiel here. God is saying to the prophet, Oh, thou art unto them is a very lovely song of one that has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, notice this, when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come, then shall they know that a prophet has been among them. Then shall they know. Just as he said, then shall they know that I am the Lord, both in their life and in their death. So this is all sadly interesting to me because the people went to hear Ezekiel. Listen to this. They went to hear Ezekiel as if he were some sort of entertainer, like some aggressive, caustic comedian worthy of being mocked and ridiculed, scorned and laughed at. And most importantly, not really listened to. And yet all the things that he spoke came to pass because he was a true prophet of God. Yet at some point in time, during the time of Ezekiel's uh, prophecies, it was a popular thing to do. It was the social event of the time. To go and listen to this prophet of God. But what he said never moved their hearts. It never changed their lives. Brings to mind the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon, who, there toward the end of the 19th century, uh, became a phenomena. He he was a very young man who began to preach the gospel in a in a particular church in a certain part of London, and and uh, people were coming flocking in and just filling. He was filling the church so much that they had to build another church. But until they built this other church uh, uh, for him, the. Uh, uh, I'll get it in a minute, but anyway, before they built this other church, they had to find venues where they could fill, you know, the place with people, so they went to the Crystal Palace, they went to all kinds of different large, large arenas where they could put 10, 15, 20,000 people to hear this preacher. Most only went because it was a phenomenon. Most only went because, oh, you know, it was a thing, hey, you know, there's, there's this guy preaching the gospel, and and, and, you know, in those days, they didn't have microphones. They didn't have, uh, you know, sound uh, equipment. I mean, so things had to be kind of quiet uh, where, where he was so people could hear him. And uh, a, lot of, in a lot of the larger venues, when he did preach, there were a lot of mockers in there. So they, they'd be, be hearing from different places within the, the big hall, you know, people shouting out and doing all kinds of stuff. Because that's what they went to do. It was, it was like the entertainment of the time. And after the sermon uh, that he would preach on a Sunday and a Monday morning, the newspaper would, would actually be uh, criticizing him in a sense. You know, kind of, kind of like uh, people do in sports events nowadays. You know, you got your sports critics, and and uh, you know they should have done this and that, or they did, they said this, or or politics, the biggest sports around today, politics. You know, where everybody's judging what every person on one political party or what another party is saying. But there were, there were lives changed because there were people that were listening. Many people came to the Lord in those days listening to this one preacher. And there were many preachers, by the way, very good preachers at that time. But in this time, in Ezekiel's time, what he said never moved their hearts. And that was sad because they had already seen that God had started to do what he said he was going to do. If you still have your finger in James, go back to chapter 1. And notice what it says here. James 1 verse 21, it says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, which means superabundance of naughtiness, which is a tremendous statement that James is making in the, to the church. To the church. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. In other words, a superabundance of naughtiness in the church and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls." So, the, so, so the, um, the exhortation is receive the word because it's able to save your souls. But he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goes away and straightforward forgetteth what manner of man he was. That's what it's like to be a doer of the word and not a hearer as well. Because when you're a hearer, you begin to apply the word to yourself and you concentrate on you memorize it, you 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 you, uh, you apply it to your life. Whereas in the other way you know, you, you go away, you hear you hear something and you go away and do whatever you want to do. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. <laughs> the people liked to listen to Ezekiel but they had no intention of obeying his words. And when his prophecies were fulfilled, they would know that a prophet of God had been in their midst. You know, we should come to the word of God with every intention of obeying and constantly checking our hearts lest we fail to apply what we hear. I have to say this, but the best response to any message or to any sermon or to any Bible study teaching is not, oh, that was a fine message. The best response to any kind of a message is, God has spoken to me. He pierced my heart. I must do something with what I've heard. That's the best response. I'm not flattered, you know, because I know that before I could present this message to you, I had to hear God's word to me, to my heart. I know what it does to me. So it's not easy being here and presenting it. I have to live it. I have to realize I've got to do it with as much of my heart as you have to do it. So I don't do what I do for applaud applause or plaudits of men it it doesn't work that way I pray that from this pulpit God's word goes forth in power to change lives not my power not by works of righteousness which you have done not by the flesh not by works but by the spirit of God If not, what happens? We listen, we go, but we don't do. Listen to what uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. He says, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man or a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, day by day we're moving toward that very same image of Christ. That we henceforth, now here it is, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, And cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Our calling as as pastor teachers is very simple comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. That's it. Comfort the afflicted. Afflict the comfortable. And how? By teaching the word of God. I close with Isaiah 55 verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I set it. I I have that much faith and hope and trust and dependency upon God's word who said that my word will go forth and it shall not return empty. So, upon whom do we depend? Upon whom do we trust? I pray it is our one true God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father, thank you. We bless you, we praise you, and we worship you, Lord, tonight. We ask that you, Lord, would hear the prayers, the cries, the call of our hearts, Lord, as we as we meditate now upon your word as we ponder it as we consider it and as we ask that you would give us wisdom and insight into how we are to live not by works of righteousness which we've done but according to your mercy not by our flesh or by our works or our ways, but by your Spirit. We pray, Father, you would, you would anoint us and bless us and fill us and saturate our hearts with your Spirit tonight. And continue, Lord, to fill us with everything that is good and and perfect and that comes from you the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning we bless you Lord and we praise you we ask Father that you would indeed stir our hearts so that we Lord God would take your good that we would die to ourselves and that we would let Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit live in us until the day of Jesus. And this we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. After we sing our song of dismissal, take a moment, if you will. If you need a prayer, come on up and we'll have some people up here in front to pray for you. Have a wonderful uh, rest of the week and uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, Saturday or Sunday. Uh, if not here, there or in the air, we'll see you soon. Lord Jesus is coming, so what do we need to do? We keep looking up and lifting up our heads because our redemption draws near. Or as I oftentimes say, get right or get left. You understand it? Get right or get left. Okay. Love you guys. God bless you. Let's sing.